Let me ask you a question. And this is a rhetorical question, of course, but it's a question I want you to ponder. How much happiness do you want? It's, it's, it's an interesting question because everything that we do, everything that we do, is done in order to maximize our happiness. Even the person who commits suicide is doing so in order to decrease suffering and in some mistaken understanding increase his happiness. Every one of us I think about it, whenever you buy a car, whenever you um, change electric companies, whenever you go on a trip, you buy a new house, you learn how to do something on, and learn to play a new, an instrument. Everything is because you think it's going to increase your happiness. You never do anything, you never do anything to increase your suffering. I mean, even people who are doing penance and want to increase their suffering are doing them because they understand that it will make them happier <coughs> at the bottom being closer to God. So everything is done for that. But now let me ask you to ponder the next question. The next question, how much happiness is okay? How much happiness do you want? How about if I were to guarantee you a year? Is that enough? It would be good for that year, but then, uh -uh. five years? 20 years. How about happiness until the day you die? Sounds a lot better. But that means that when you're about to die, you're no longer going to be happy. So it ends. I'll save you going through all of this. You want happiness like I want happiness that doesn't end. That's what we all want, every single one of us. We don't want a happiness that has an end to it. And the interesting thing about it is this. That doesn't exist, does it? It doesn't exist. It's always been a very um, interesting part of my, my own experience of being human. See, let me just tell you something about myself. I find being existing, I find being existing as a human being, I reflect on it constantly. And I find existing as a human being a very strange proposition. Very strange.
And one of the things that I find strangest of all is that my desires, what I would like to have in order to be happy, don't match anything that is available here. Now, people who do think that they match something are still growing up. Because even if you say, well, you know, I, I, I'll win the lottery and then I'll be happy. When you finally win it, you'll be happy for a while, but not forever. I learned something this year, uh, a psychological term that I had never known before. It's called destination addiction. Destination <clears throat> addiction is when you say, I know I'm going to be happy. I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. And then you exist waiting to be happy when you get married, you buy a new house, you get rid of this cancer, you get rid of uh, this car. I'll be happy when. And, and that is an illusion. Because when whatever you were waiting for comes, you're going to be happy, but not for long. You will say, well, what now? What now? And so the more you look at it, the more you understand that you have a desire inside of you that has absolutely no correlation to anything that is available in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem, I mean, th that seems that if that is true, that is a really a cruel joke. It's a very cruel joke. And actually, the religions of the world actually, at least the natural religions of the world, actually agree that it's a cruel joke. Now, why do I say that? Let me take you just on a, a quick little tour of um, three or four of the major religions. I did my master's degree on this. Let's, let's take Hinduism. Hinduism, now there's popular Hinduism, but Hinduism, the Hindu theology, is that this world is an illusion. It's called Maya. And that your whole life is an illusion. And that enlightenment means to wake up. It's interesting because the whole concept of reincarnation comes from the understanding that Hindus have that what has happened is that the gods, well, they, they believe in one god ultimately, 
but there are different manifestations of the of the god Brahman, Shiva, and Vishnu. And I don't want to take you too deep into that. But basically, the basic understanding of the Hindu is that some aspect of God has gotten contaminated with matter, and that the content that the that the contaminated part of matter of God is you. You are a part of God that has gotten contaminated with matter. So it's like, uh, imagine that you take, you, you put your hand in water, and then you have a platter of, you know, baking flour, and put your hand right on to that flour. The flower sticks to your hand. That's the Hindu understanding of you. You are a little piece of God that has been contaminated with matter. And you're not supposed to be that way. So there's no way you're going to find happiness while you're contaminated with matter. The whole point of being a Hindu is to live in such a way that when you when you die, you have been so detached from matter that you your spirit joins the one God, and you're detached from matter, and that in reality you don't exist. Let me give you this last little piece of, so you understand how the Hindus understand this. Imagine you have an eyedropper and you're on a boat and you lean over and you take the eyedropper and you pick up some ocean water. Now, keep holding that eyedropper over the sea and just barely squeeze the eyedropper and watch a little drop form at the end of the eyedropper. Now, let me ask you, does that little drop exist? And you'll answer, well, of course, I can see it. It exists. It's right there. It exists. And I say, good. Now press the eyedropper a little more and let the drop fall into the ocean. And now I ask you the same question. Does the little drop exist? And, yeah, no, yeah, no, I guess some of the molecule, but it's, can you identify the little drop in the ocean? No, that's you. You are a little drop in Hinduism that thinks you're an individual, but you're actually a little contaminated part of God. And if you get more contaminated with matter, the reincarnation process means you keep going down and you become an insect until you can reincarnate. And the whole point is to get rid of the contamination with matter. And the more you are contaminated, attached to matter, the more you go down in, in the row of reincarnation.
I always find it interesting in, in, when people believe in reincarnation, because they always imagine themselves, the, I used to be a queen, or I used to be a general, or something like that. How about I used to be a worm? <laughs> you know, you, come on. Anyway, that's beside the point. But that's Hinduism. Notice Hinduism doesn't say the only way the only way to be happy for you to get the, the is to get rid of your body. Your desires are what's wrong. Now, out of Hinduism developed Buddhism. Now, Buddhism does away with all that stuff, the matter and stuff like that. Buddhism doesn't even believe in God, a personal God. Buddhism, do you know what the... Buddhism has four noble truths. You know what the four noble truths are? I'll just tell you the first two because it's too long. The first noble truth is life is suffering. Accept it. That's Buddhism, first noble truth. The second noble truth of Buddhism is you suffer because you desire to be happy and you desire things that will make you happy. The best way to make you happy, according to Buddhism, get rid of all your desires. And when you become totally indifferent to everything, you come to the point that you don't care. And that not caring is a perfect state of nirvana. You have thus woken up and gotten rid of all your desires. And there's happiness. To enter into nirvana means, by the way, the word Buddha means the one who woke up. Woke up from what? The nightmare of desire. The nightmare that keeps you rolling and rolling and rolling from one desire to the other. And you can only be happy when you let go of all your desires and die and enter into God's presence. And they don't understand who God is. God is not personal. And I'll touch one on one last one. Islam. Islam is very interesting. Kind of like Judaism. Well, interesting just to put a little on Judaism. I know quite a bit about Judaism. Jews have no idea what happens after death. They have no idea. No idea. I have a very good friend of mine who's a rabbi. And they say, well, the only thing we know is that the soul goes back to God. We don't know anything else. Is there a body? Is there any? No idea. The soul goes back to God. They have no idea what it is. Now, Muslims, they believe that there is heaven. But in heaven, by the way, they don't mention too much about women, how you, got, how you women are going to be happy in heaven. We know that men get 72 virgins. Um, and we know that in the understanding of Islam, in Islam, everything is material. It's kind of like here. You're going to have lots of food to eat. You're going to have uh, sex, that you as much sex as you want. Uh, you will be in a, in a paradise, imagine, like this world. It's, after, I don't know if you've overeaten or oversexed ever, any time. Uh, and, but after, after a while, you just get, you know, you, you just don't want any more. Now, I went through that because I want you to understand the answer to what does the other, shall we call it, the competition? What does the competition offer you? 
And of course, then you can say, well, wait a minute, maybe there is no God. And if there is no God, then the only happiness you're going to have is uh, there's an, you know, there used to be an old, I think it was Budweiser. I can't remember the, the beer, but it was a, 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 a camera that would shove, would focus down on these people in a, in a sailboat. And they were beautiful people, you know? There was like five guys and five girls, and all the guys were muscular, and all the girls were wearing bikinis, and, and everybody was, be they had no fat guys, you know, and, on, on, on the, uh, uh, on the, on the boat. And the voiceover would come out and say, you only go around once in life. So you better grab for all the gusto that you can get. And then you would see, it would focus somebody on the boat and they would grab a Budweiser or Schlitz or something and they would drink it and they go, ah, as if that satisfied all of their needs for happiness. What is all this long introduction for? To tell you that there is nothing, nothing that you're going to find that is going to answer the question satisfactorily, how much happiness do you want? The only thing that, that answers that question is Jesus. The revelation of God in Jesus. Today, Jesus says, I, well, actually, a couple of days ago, he says, because it's a continuation of this, he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I say this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Love one another. And then he continues with the gospel today. Lord, and Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will come to him and we will make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word. Now, what does this have to do with happiness? There's one more quote that is in a different part of the Bible that every time I read it, I get chills. And the quote says this. Imagine that you ask Jesus, why did you come? Jesus has a direct answer. I have come that you may have joy, that you may have life, and have it in its fullness. Now think about that. I have come that you may have life or joy and that you may have it in its fullness. What does that imply? It implies we don't have it in its fullness. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to come. Right? When Jesus says that, and I hear the implication, you don't have joy in its fullness, I go, boy, did you hit the bullseye. 
That's exactly my experience. My experience is I get a little happiness, but not much. And it always ends. And when you say to me, I have come that you may have joy and have it to the full, the fullness of joy means I want happiness, but I don't want it to end. I don't want to die. I don't want everybody that I love dying. And even if we have to go through death, I want to be with them for eternity. That's the point. Jesus and his resurrection is the only message in this entire world that promises that there is an answer to the longing for joy and happiness that you experience in your life. That's the only answer. If you want to go play, and if you want to go check out the other religions, by all means, go, go to it. I, I, I just gave you the, the little bit 25 cent version of what you're going to find. The only one, the only religion that answers the question is Jesus. I have come that you may have joy and have it to the full. So to my way of thinking, it's either one of two things. It's either the atheists are right and this life is a total tease, a total cruel joke in which we get to desire what doesn't exist. But I don't believe that God would create that. And I do believe that this universe is too far too complex to just have been come to exist just by sheer chance. There's an old saying that goes, in the beginning there was nothing. And nothing happened to nothing. And one day, nothing, for no reason, exploded into bits of everything. And bits of everything, for no reason, became dinosaurs. Makes perfect sense. Of course it doesn't. Stupid. And so when I've left, you know, sometimes people say, faith, oh, with faith you have to suspend your reason. No. Faith is not instead of reason. Faith is on the other side of reason. Faith is when you get to the point that reason doesn't work because you've left it behind. It, I, I've often said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. To me, for me to say that this world came about the way it is would require an absurd amount of credulity. A person who is just stupid enough to believe anything. Now, when it comes right down to it, the only answer that has made any sense to me is Jesus and his resurrection. That's the only time that I ever find a chance, a realistic chance, 
that I can be happy for as much as I want, which means forever. I think we call it heaven.